Hello, and welcome to Be Incandescent Health and Wellness Magazine's radio and TV show. I am thrilled to be here today with three amazing young architects, Weijia Song, Alex Yoon, and Dylan Gibbs, my son. So let me tell you a little backstory, what we're all about. This is the January 2021 cover of Be Incandescent Magazine. And what we're doing is we're talking about what's next and what's new. And what's new is that we have chosen, the Incandescent Group has chosen collective operations to be the architects for what we are thrilled to announce is the first Incandescent Health and Wellness Retreat Center here in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So details will unfold. We're just in the beginning stages, but we have this amazing team with us. And I was honored to meet Weja and Alex because Dylan goes to the University of Virginia's architecture show and Alex is one of the professors there. So over the last several months, we have connected and collaborated and met weekly. And today we announce the rollout of this amazing project. So today we're gonna to talk about not just the project, but the future of architecture from these three amazing people's perspective. And they'll tell us about their backgrounds, what it means to be an architect today. And then Dylan will chime in. He's our assistant on the project, um, doing a lot of research so that we can roll things out in a very systematic way. So I'm gonna throw it over to Collective Operations. Guys, tell us about your business. Thank you, Hope. Um, my name is Alex Yuen, and I'm here with my partner, Weija Song. Um, we represent Collective Operations. Uh, we're a very new um, a startup architecture firm uh, but we also do research, architectural research and design, uh, as well as real estate development. Um, we're based here in San Francisco, and uh, we're very excited to be working with both Hope and, and Dylan um, on the Incandescent Health and Wellness Center, and also to be sharing with you all the, um, our, our journey to, to get to this moment. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get, how did the two of you get into architecture? How did you meet? Um, and uh, tell us about the, you just opened a storefront in San Francisco, so we're excited to learn about that as well. Uh, yeah, so hi everyone, I'm Weisha Song, as Alex mentioned, a co-founder of Collective Operations, or as we like to call Co. Um, we, uh, our journey, I think, actually started together. We uh, went to architecture school together at Rice University in Houston, Texas. Um, and from there, we've not only studied, but we worked professionally in New York for about four years at a variety of um, architecture firms uh, from Sharp Architects, uh, OMA, Office of Metropolitan Architecture, Dillis Video and Renfro. Um, we were really were able to hone our skills. Um, and now that we've had you know, a lot of experience working in the real world, working on large scale uh, projects, um, we really thought that this was a good time to launch um, our own company together and really start to take some more agency in our work um, and creativity and, in terms of architecture design and development. So Weja, you are from New Zealand and Alex was born in Hong Kong, but grew up and grew up in San Francisco. So tell us about your journey personally, each of you uh, to, that made you want to become architects. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so my family, we were originally from China and um, but we immigrated to New Zealand when I was about three years old. Um, and maybe that's one of the elements that brought us together was our collective family history and origin. Um, but what really drew me to architecture was uh, I've always loved buildings. I've always loved um, looking at 
homes, walking around cities, um, experiencing the built environment. It's not something that uh, a lot of people maybe pay attention to on a daily basis, but there is a permanence to building and a permanence to design and architecture that has the ability to really shape how we live and work uh, for generations to come. And so for me, being able to be a part of that, to be able to contribute to the cities that we live in um, was really, really what attracted me to this profession. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a similar story for me. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Hope, I was born in Hong Kong. So um, from an early age, like the, my earliest memories are of walking around these giant skyscrapers, um, experiencing kind of the hustle bustle, all the sights, the sounds and the smells of the city. Um, and then I, when I was relatively young, my family moved to San Francisco. So um, on a global scale, it's not as dense, but in North America and in, 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 um, in America, in that context, it's, it's still quite a, a dense uh, happening city. Um, and just moving back, we, you know, we travel back and forth between Hong Kong and the West Coast um, and just seeing how um, both cities are really uh, defined by their architecture and also their architecture in relationship to the landscape, in relationship to the water, um, in relationship to the activity that, that happens there. You know, um, the reason now I understand the reason you have all these tall skyscrapers in Hong Kong is because of the financial industry and the reason why you have a lot of the, the architecture that you have here is because of, you know, the gold rush, for instance, you know, so that you can also trace the kind of history of the city and identity of the history of the city through the architecture. Um, I think for me too, um, I was attracted to studying architecture because I thought it was a really great way to use the analytical side of my mind to kind of um, like understanding concepts and, and, and analyzing things to create something uh, that wasn't maybe so into so analytical, that was more intuitive, that had kind of a, a some kind of beauty or something that went beyond reason. Um, and I think uh, that's one way of kind of thinking about architecture and subsequently uh, through that understanding of that process, I also have, I, I really enjoy being able to look at buildings, look at cities and kind of uh, reverse that, that process and kind of um, understand and analyze uh, the world around me in a new way. So it's, it's been a really great pursuit that we've been up to, we realized for about 12 years now. and. Um, I think it just changes the way we, we see the world and how we interact with it. Yeah, excellent. Dylan, I know that you don't really wanna be part of our conversation, you're a little bit shy, um, but I'm just gonna tell a little backstory about Dylan and loop him in a little um, because he's graduating from college this year and he's following in the footsteps of Alex and Weja um, and really you know, learning from them every day. But Dylan, uh, Dylan decided or told me that he wanted to be an architect when he was a wee little guy. Um, we were taking a walk on the beach in Bethany, Delaware. And I said, oh, someday I just wanna have a beach house. And he said, mom, I'm gonna grow up to be an architect and build you a house. So even though we're not quite at the beach yet, we are here in the desert in Las Cruces. Dylan, do you just wanna say a few words about what inspired you to become an architect? But I think uh, the other two architects probably said it a little better uh, than I can. But uh, my other parent is a, kind of a more visual artist and kind of having the influence of my mom, dad, and sister, all these visual impacts and also the, the ability of logic to kind of uh, infiltrate that kind of just how architecture is this discipline at the crossroads of you know, math, science, and art and kind of how there isn't this absolute logic to it. Just kind of how, how art and science can kind of come together uh, to be this rational, logical thing. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's an amazing combination of all the things that you were brought up to be. Your dad is Michael Gibbs, who is uh, an award-winning, many times, uh, illustrator. And your sister, Anna Gibbs, is a 
photographer and videographer in Richmond, Virginia. So you've taken all the things that we've taught you writing art, videography, and of just a visual perspective. Plus you have a great mind for math and science. So it's really fascinating to watch you evolve and then connect you with these two amazing architects in San Francisco. So Alex and Weisha, tell us a little bit more about how you view the future of architecture. How is it changing over time? And you know, we're, we're still in a pandemic. Um, the economy is teetering as it's gone up and down in my adult life. Um, and everyone's adult life, uh, just how things go. But how are you seeing things right now and also in the future? 2020 has really been a very turbulent year, um, but and architecture has always been a profession that responds to not only these um, economic uh, contexts, but also the social and cultural elements of our society. Um, and what this year has really shown is there's been a lot of issues that have been brought, has been brought to the light. Um, and to our attention as well. Um, and we really would love to address that through our work. We think that uh, a lot of the issues around race and inequality, um, a lot of it, architecture and the built environment and real estate has really been contributed to that inequality. Um, who has been able or allowed to own homes, who has been able to have the financial um, uh, capability to, to purchase or uh, to purchase real estate or to um, hire an architect to design their house has been um, very, very unfortunately uh, divided across um, racial lines. And so we would love to be able to address that through our own experience as designers through as, um, and our experience as affordable housing developers to create a more equitable society for everyone. Um, yeah, there's, there's something like in this country, upwards of $45 trillion worth of wealth in both commercial and residential real estate. And um, if you just go back a couple of generations, you can see that that, that wealth was restricted. Um, building that wealth was restricted to certain people of certain uh, classes and specifically races. Um, and so I think that's something that the architecture profession talks about a lot, but we don't really understand yet how to deal with that. You know, And that's part of the reason why um, we made sure we, when we were working in firms, we wanted to get a stronger understanding of the real estate side of things, of the finances and also the policy and how that affects um, what we can and can't build and, and design. Um, and that's partially why uh, Weja pursued a, a real estate development degree at MIT after she did her degree in architecture at Rice. Um, and I pursued a, a degree in urban design. So we could kind of look at things from a larger perspective as well as from the detailed perspective. We, we really believe that being able to look at architecture on these different scales and across these different kind of um, boundaries uh, stems from like what we were just talking about before, how we like architecture because it's, you, it's kind of universal. It's all around us and you know, it affects so many different things in our society. Um, so we really feel like, um, as, as Wish was mentioning, both the, the social um, uh, revolutions, uh, the kind of um, climate change, addressing climate change, addressing the pandemic, uh, there's just a lot of opportunities to kind of use our voice and use a different perspective to, to sort of fix and maybe improve some of the conditions that we're, we had taken for granted before. So we, we think there's a profound opportunity right now to, to do a lot of good things, for sure. Right, right. And as Alex mentioned, um, you know, sustainability is a big topic that's um, permeating across the architecture design construction industries right now. Um, construction is a huge uh, polluter. It creates, unfortunately, the materials that go into making the buildings that we live uh, not sustainable. Um, 
they've stayed pretty much the same in terms of our technique of building buildings for the last 100, 200 years. Um, and there's a lot to be gained from focusing more on sustainability in our environment um, and how we can create uh, buildings that actually operate efficiently for the next 50 years. Um, so, you know, we've got it, these are very large overarching goals that we cannot necessarily achieve just on our own. But I think with enough um, impetus, with enough um, architects or designers or developers who are interested in pushing these boundaries, I think we can take it a step at a time and hopefully leave our world slightly better than the way we uh, have it now. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of um, what attracts us to, you know, to have conversations like these and also to, to be involved in schools and institutions is just to be aware of all these changes that are happening. Um, you know, I was listening to Bill Gates the other day and he's talking about how uh, the real way to solve climate change is to get rid of that green premium. You know, right now people pay more for, um, for materials that are compostable or materials that are, um, uh, that are better for the environment. Um, but when it comes down to when, you, when you're, I think part of our, our, our approach is to kind of look at things from the investor's perspective or the developer's perspective and understand, like try to see how someone would make an investment, um, whether or not they should uh, front that premium now or if, that, if they would rather withhold it and just make the profit, you know? Um, and so for us, I think um, we are trying to also propose that like that green premium doesn't need to exist at a service level either. You know, like we, we also want to make sure that when we pr produce, like it is no matter what, that's something that we're, we're thinking about. Um, and that if you engage with us, that's something that um, will be a given, you know, that's something that is really important. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we've talked about is most important about what we're creating here. Mm -hmm. um, is to, in, in the desert, is that it is of the desert and right. part of this cult, you know, there's not a lot of rain, so we, we're sensitive to that. There's tons of solar power, so we're sensitive to that. And I, I just love working with you guys because this is, that's the mainstay. Alex, I want you to talk a little bit on this, on this vein about your project at Harvard where you went to graduate school, the project that you did that Dylan and showed me initially and I was blown away. So talk a little bit about that if you will. Yeah, I, I think the one you're talking about is the um, $2,000 home um, that uh, when I was at Harvard, we had the chance to, I had basically a chance to take a class where the assignment was to produce, to design a, a home in rural Bangladesh that would cost $2,000 maximum. So including uh, materials and labor. Um, and the goal was in the end to actually build the project ourselves. Um, so Harvard has an amazing outreach and they send, they have studios uh, doing work all over the, the world basically. They bring in architects from different locations um, to, to introduce students to different um, opportunities. Uh, this, was, this was one I really enjoyed. And um, I think it goes back to our approach of thinking kind of scalelessly. So you would think of a single home as being a very small project, you know, maybe you know, quite simple. But obviously when you take those pressures of an actual um, budget, which is something unfortunately that most architecture studios in school don't involve, uh, you start to think about the, work, the, the project in a very different way. You have to make decisions, basically. Am I going to allocate my resources here? Am I allocate my resources there? Um, and for us, uh, this, was, this was kind of universal for all the, the students, all my classmates. We had to decide how we wanted to implement the material of brick because um, the people living in this environment basically live in mud houses that they construct themselves with their hands. And for them, brick represented a kind of step up 
um, in their lifestyle. So it represented achieving a higher tier, a higher, higher status or, or position in, in life. Um, yet there is no way that we could build an entire home out of brick within that $2,000 budget, just simply because it was just a lot more expensive. So the, the proposal basically um, rationalized the project in a way that uh, you would still use brick, but you would use brick to kind of structure the, the home. So there was a series of frames that were built out of brick and then everything in between was filled in with um, tiles or mud um, so that the, the, the project would have a, a kind of give the, the, the client that sense of dignity that they, they wanted, that kind of outward looking, you know, that presence um, within the, the village, um, but also use it as a way to both as, as, a, as a physical structure, um, <clears throat> but also as a way to structure their life. So we had two sides. We had one that was kind of the domestic side and then the one that was uh, the, um, the uh, workshop side where they produced their wares. They were potters. So they, they actually produced, the idea was to produce their, um, their own tiles for the roof. Um, and, it, and it's just funny because, uh, you know, as, as humble as the budget was in our perspective, um, even there we had, there was a financial problem and unfortunately the project couldn't be built because uh, there were, some of the funds went kind of uh, misallocated or went missing. So even in that context, the architect is always um, at the whim of the client and their finances and other, you know, market forces. Um, so it was a, definitely a learning experience, but it, it was uh, extremely fun and also um, showed us how we could think about, um, we can use certain principles to think about projects at varying scales in a similar vein. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I love the learning process, you know, yeah. because we learn, we all learn from everything that we do and how you were creative to, you know, take all those factors into account and come up with something amazing, you know, and that's what we're planning to do here in Las Cruces at the Incandescent Health and Wellness Retreat Center. Um, and Weja, talk a little bit about one of the materials that you're really passionate about us using, rammed earth. Yeah, definitely. So we've been working together a lot, Hope um, and Dylan, on this project in Las Cruces on the Incandescent Health and Wellness Center. And um, when you first introduced the site to us, uh, the beautiful desert landscape, um, immediately this one material jumped into our minds, um, one material that I've been very familiar with uh, and admired from afar, but never had the opportunity to work with directly. And that was rammed earth. Um, and to kind of describe it is, is literally um, various types of earth that's been pressurized to create uh, solid walls. Um, and it really takes, uh, creates a color that's, um, that's directly related to the context that it's built from. Uh, you'll see the, uh, in terms of color, you've got reds, browns, you know, um, very oak, ochres, uh, very earthy tones, uh, and it's incredibly beautiful. And it's it's very rare because you can only use it in certain environments, um, and only certain uh, builders are able to kind of create these um, these products. So I think um, for us, when we first started kind of throwing around ideas about the health and wellness center and what it could be um, and the importance of drawing from the context. We thought this material was not only sustainable, uh, beautiful, but also um, reflected the context of Las Cruces. Um, obviously there might be budgetary constraints later on that will need to be discussed, but definitely at a high level, we really want to um, develop this further and explore this further together. Yeah, and I, what I'm so thrilled about, one of the things I'm thrilled about is making this a signature project for you guys, because, you know, I know what I like. I like 
the stars and the light and the magic of these sunsets here and just the, the heat and the also it's cold now so you know just the temperature range of the desert but I want it to be something that you guys just are you know this is all you I, I think it's a shame that that house was never built in Bangladesh Alex because that would have been a really cool thing but something that's so inspired and um, so thoughtful right because that's what the essence of this health and wellness center is that we will um, bring people together to be in community and to heal as a group, right. as a collective inside and out, right? So. Well, I think, I think what's great about architecture is each, each opportunity, each project is an opportunity to create a signature work. You know, I think um, uh, a lot of the, 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 the lessons that I learned working on some of the projects that weren't built, same with Weja, we are definitely taking into account for this project. And I'm sure this project will be used as a kind of learning experience for future projects, you know? So I think that's something that's really great about architecture. Um, the evidence of pre previous, uh, previous ideas and previous work is all around us. We can learn from it. Um, and we can always employ those lessons in what we do moving forward. Um, for us, we, don't, we never really strive to have a certain aesthetic in mind. You know, we always wanna address the project um, within its context you know, the best opportunity for that place, um, while also making sure that we are economical and we, are, we use, you know, we, we, we um, take advantage of, of things that, uh, research that we've done or projects or experiences that we've already had. Really in that sense, that's, I think it's, it's a nice thing also about architecture. It's really like a lifelong pursuit. You'll notice that a lot of architects live actually quite long and they actually, um, they, uh, they work until into their final days because it's something that you never really have to stop. You can never, you never really have to stop doing. There's always, there's always room for improvement. And just to kind of add a little bit about our partnership and our excitement to be working together on this project is um, we're very grateful for the opportunity, Hope and Dylan, to work with you both on um, the Health and Wellness Center because it's really what attracted us was the mission and some of the, um, the kind of important points that you pointed out to us both. Um, you wanted to you wanted to emphasize not only a respect for the context, but for the culture, for the, um, the environment. Uh, and that's really, you know, the key elements that we've identified that we want to address in our practice um, for the coming years. So, uh, you know, for us, this was the perfect opportunity to work with, a, um, with you, with the Incandescent, um, with an amazing uh, mission to provide, you know, um, a wellness center for relaxation, for respite, for recovery. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a great, we're very grateful for the opportunity to be able to be part of that. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think what's also great about this process so far is that we're doing this, you know, obviously over zoom, we're doing this with, um, you know, with these kind of lockdown measures in place, understanding a lot of the stresses that people are going through right now. Um, and that I think what's, what's really nice about this project is knowing that it will have, it will definitely be applicable. Uh, once it's finished, you know, there will need be, there's already an increasing need for um, uh, wellness, mindfulness, therapy, um, access to the outdoors, um, kind of just things that make you feel better because there's so many pressures in our lives right now. And um, so uh, that gives us extra motivation knowing that um, there will be, we'll be able to help and, and um, affect people moving forward. Yeah, it's amazing, right? I mean, this collection of the four of us is just really thrilling to me. It's an honor to have found the two of you and to have, you know, Dylan work on the project with us. Um, and, you know, when we think big, this is the first of many. You, you all have aspirations to buy property in New Zealand. I would love for this to be an international project where we really pull people together because 
You know, we we hear this all the time. We're more alike than we are different. Yeah. And to let people really see and explore that and to have the joys of each culture kind of meld into it, right? Because there's so many beautiful things out in this gorgeous world of ours. And too often we're sucked into um, the negative, right? So Incandescent is here to shine light and you guys are part of it. And it's just a thrill. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you all. No, we're, we're definitely looking forward to creating a place that um, uh, people can come together, you know, and uh, find a place for quiet, but we're also a place for collectivity uh, to learn from each other, um, to experience new cultures. And, um, I, I think that's something that we're all missing right now, but uh, there will be a day when that, that opportunity comes back. And so we just want to be positioned to, to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. And here we are, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but we're optimistic and we're, you know, one foot in front of the other <laughs> one. And so what we're what I'm excited about is, you know, the next phase. So Dylan did a presentation for us the other day um, where he did a ton of research and that's his role in the in the project. He's going to be this is part of his senior project as he graduates in May from University of Virginia. Which I'm very proud. His father and I are very proud of him. <laughs> and um, we're gonna just see what we can do. We're gonna look for investors because this is a big project and we're really excited about that. We have an eye on some property um, that we're gonna go exploring and we're just gonna see, you know, like everything, it's, it's a new, it's a birth, it's a new baby and um, here we are. And this, I, I feel like pulling together the different generations, the different visions, the different viewpoints, you know, is really, um, the magic of all of this. So thank you both. Thank you, Dylan, for connecting us. And uh, thank you all. Does it, so uh, final words, what would you guys like to part with? Um, well, I think, again, I'd just like to say thank you to, you know, for the opportunity, for the platform. Um, I think we're extremely looking forward to just working together um, moving forward. Uh, Dylan is, is an incredibly talented designer, um, even though, you know, I haven't worked with you directly in school context, but I hear a lot from Alex that um, he has high expectations. So we, we definitely look forward to, to working with you and um, creating something that uh, is meaningful. Um, and hopefully part of your portfolio as well. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're just really excited to keep on working together and, and to, to produce something really outstanding um, and get more people involved too. You know, this is, a, this is the team right now, but uh, looking forward, we just want to make sure that it's something that, um, you know, we, I think, I think we we, the, the vision and the plan is there in terms of what we want this type, type of thing to be. Um, and so I, I, I'm looking forward to being able to share it with, with more people moving forward. Yeah, and how amazing is that, right? That we um, we all kind of work on this with other people. Uh, Weja this week found people that ex they're experts in rammed earth and we're gonna go exploring that. And Dylan's done a ton of research on the climate and the different things and you know pulling in ecologists and anthropologists to really understand what New Mexico is and how we can bring you know the, the local flavor from food to the environment to the project so I'm thrilled I, I can't tell you how thrilled I am <laughs> this is really exciting for me um, as the owner of this company that I started in 2008 to be having this conversation in 2021 um, with all of you so we'll see you know what the future holds I'm optimistic and I assume the pandemic will eventually end and we will all be moving forward and um, the Incandescent Health and Wellness Center will be a real live entity where we can bring tons and tons of people together in the, in the near future. So I'm going to say, say thank you today. And uh, just knowing that, you know, thank you to Dylan. Thank you to Alex and Weja. And um, 
looking forward to having many more conversations on the Incandescent Health and Wellness Center on Be Incandescent Magazine. So I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, a founder of the company and just thrilled to be here and part of what's coming next. So thank you all. Thank you to our listeners and we will be in touch with you very soon. Definitely check out beincandescent.com's January 2021 issue featuring these two, three amazing architects. We'll talk to you soon. 